This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Touch 'Em All podcast. Episode two this week. We're giving you a bunch of bonus content because Derek Wetmore has literally just landed from Washington D.C. in the last uh, twenty-four hours, and boy, are his arms tired. <laughs> no, so no, he was on a plane. Right. <laughs> that even even for the considerably low standard that we've set on this podcast, I'm not sure that that rises to the level. Okay, so just uh, we'll just start over. Yeah. Hey, welcome. <laughs> yeah, right. To the Touch Mall podcast. By the way, uh, before we dive into the five things Derek learned from being in Washington, D.C. at the winter meetings, if you could, we have a bunch of great content on Facebook. I mean, we're going to give you three Facebook addresses to go like or go follow or whatever mechanism if you're not already. Uh, the 1500 ESPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash 1500 ESPN. Uh, my personal Facebook page, Phil Mackey, it's just facebook.com slash Phil Mackey Radio. And what's yours, Derek? I'm Derek Wetmore, MLB. Cool. So I'm radio and you're MLB. And I'm not, I don't actually work for MLB, but I just kind of, you know, it's maybe somebody searching for it and, uh, and they're typing Derek Jeter, MLB. Well, we spell our names the same way, so I'd knock out two out of those three. Sure. And I would have accidentally stumbled into another follower and we'd all be happy. Yeah, it's good. Did somebody have Derek Wetmore or do you have that for like, like a private That's my personal page, yeah, which I'm considering closing down because. Just not a lot of fun. Now that you've gone public, there's no need for the... <laughs> no, the now I'm just assuming that all my friends are engaged <laughs> or pregnant, so like I don't need to see the photos <laughs> of it, like verifying that that's true. Or uh, the other thing I don't like seeing is your uh, the, the amazing link, something revolutionary that you found on a website about politics right. that's yeah. from a website that Russians created right. or something. Yeah, so right. uh, anyways, you were at the winter meetings in Washington, D.C., and we spent the previous episode this week talking all about Brian Dozier. Would we trade him? What are the possibilities? So I, I don't know if you're mixing in Brian Dozier with these five things, but let's start with the five things uh, one by one that you learned in Washington, D.C. We will go in order. This five thoughts column posted to the website and sent out to the email list as well. Um, the first one is it's tangentially related to Brian Dozier. That the Twins are willing to be patient. That's number one on my list. And Like with trades or just in general? Generally speaking, I was under the impression that these two new guys, when they started about two months ago and some change now, uh, they were going to try to hit the ground running with, okay, you got to learn everyone in your organization. You need to figure out who you need to have in place. Go get the hiring before everyone who deserves a job has a job somewhere else, which, by the way, we might have already been past that point. Um, but that they'd kind of just just try and sprint to some sort of finish line of all right well we got to have this this and this in place for 2017 to even have a chance to compete okay it's more like 
they've calculatedly gone through that stuff. They spent time meeting all of their scouts. They spent time being as thoughtful, I think, as it warrants to to build out a front office. Uh, they're not done. I, I speculated in a column on 1500ESPN.com this week that they'll definitely be adding more bodies to the front office. Now, Derek Falvey confirmed that the day after, so it's it was less... It was less of a big call, really, than that it, that he was able to confirm it. But the the number one overall thing, it did have to do with Brian Dozier, but it's more about, like, they're not going to rush into anything. They're not going to take the first Brian Dozier trade offer and say, sounds good, he's a good young pitcher, we'll take that. They're listening to a lot of clubs and now kind of circling back, too, and making their own pitches to clubs. There were a lot of Twins fans on my Facebook, Phil, that were mad that, Wow, typical Twins. They didn't get anything done at the winter meetings. And I don't agree with that. I think the Twins got a lot done. The difference is it's sort of below-the-surface-level stuff, so it's not as, you know, there's nothing to report on. Well, and there's not are, a lot of substance out before there. Before the winter meetings, they signed the mo- right. they, they signed a starting catcher they to, got their- to the largest position player contract the team has ever signed. Now, granted, it's only $24 million over yeah. over three years. So that says more about to- the past Twins right. than the present. <laughs> right. I do think that... Uh, to expect them to have a deal in hand for Brian Dozier that's the best possible deal that they ever could have might be a little bit of a stretch right now. But I do think, Phil, that they made a lot of inroads with other clubs and, almost as importantly, I'd say with their own club, figuring out, okay, how which this scout, how do you see the game? Okay, good. Now let's take your insight and blend it over here. Or um, here's how you think about the game. Ah, uh, boy. Man, we don't see eye to eye, so not that you'd marginalize that opinion, you'll still listen to it, but it's going to take some time for them to figure out who to trust, how to make decisions, what's the process. By the way, not the least of which is to say, how is Derek Falvey going to lead a department when he never has before, and how are they going to work out the tandem dynamic of Derek Falvey plus Thad Levine? It's already been, there's, I I don't want to call it awkward, but we interviewed them, it was uh, myself and a handful of other reporters we talked to them every single day. It was just 4.30 Eastern, go up to their little office suite and talk to them about the day's happenings. Like clockwork, there was a little bit of, okay, here's a question for the Twins' front office. And Thad and Derek would sort of look at each other like, do you want, should I take, who? No, Derek, Derek there you, go. You, you take, no, I'll talk. this is the, because there's a 12 or, 12 or 15 year age gap, like a 12 year age gap between the years. two. And and Thad Levine has a lot more experience in the major leagues in front offices, and he's probably on paper the more qualified head of a baseball department. And I'd love to know if that how that you know played out behind the scenes. Derek, you take the first one. Derek Falvey, just okay. always take the first one right, unless yeah. it's addressed to Thad. What are those guys like? Because you you covered Terry Ryan for a number of years. Yeah. I covered Terry, and I covered Bill, Bill Smith. Uh, even at the winter meetings, I mean, Bill Smith would would say nothing, and Terry says a lot. And he, and he met daily with reporters, but he would say a lot while also keeping his cl- certain cards close to the vest. Sure. What are these guys like? It seems like there's information out there. They're not running away from the possibility of trading Brian Dozier. Right. I love that. I love that they don't think that us knowing that they're listening. Which, you know, you probably find out anyways. You can find that from other teams or national guys are going to report that based on what agents are telling them, any of that stuff. I love that they're not allergic to the idea that, like, yeah, no, we want to we keep Dozier. He's a really good player. And also, we lost 103 games last year with Brian Dozier. So we're going to listen. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Here's one 
insight into their personality is that I think Falvey's still sort of getting a grip on, boy, how much can I say? How can I like what what should be said and what should be unspoken? Because let's be honest, Phil, you've covered sports for longer than I have. There always needs to be something that's unspoken. You know, if if unless they, you're Rex Ryan, <laughs> but those teams don't win. So. And yeah, I would argue that there still should be some things that are left unspoken. The, but you got to know where that line is. It's a really hard thing to figure out. Where's that line in the sand? Like what? What can I say to be as helpful and as informative as I can that I sort of find personally as a reporter endearing? But I think fans like that too. I don't. I don't think a fan wants to hear somebody just go up and bloviate without saying anything or like read the phone book and filibuster like you would in Congress. I think they kind of like want to know what's going on, and mm-hmm. they know there are some things you can't tell. Let's say. In their head, they've made up, yep, we are going to trade Brian Dozier, and it's going to come down to one of these four teams. Why would they tell us that? Painting themselves into a corner. So there are some things that need to be left unsaid, but I think Thad is really, really good at towing that line, and here's the anecdote to back that up. Falvey kind of, uh, he, he listens to a question. They're both very thoughtful before they respond. But then Derek sort of tries to give this big-picture umbrella viewpoint from 35,000 feet that says, well, here's generally our philosophy of the way we're going to try to approach it. And Thad also has that umbrella in his mind but is better at answering without, without – he's not worried about tripping himself up and saying too much. So – and Thad, by the way. Very funny guy. I think that's going to start to become more and more appreciated as he sees more of the All public right. spotlight in Minnesota. Cool. I There's heard a lot from... of robots in this town right yes. now with Tom Thibodeau and Mike Zimmer's everyone a robot. with the Vikings. <laughs> I heard that from, from multiple people that Thad is widely regarded as one of the funniest executives in baseball. Well, that'll so be, that should be fun. This will be fun. And that'll be fun. here's what he said. So, uh, a, reporter, <laughs> a reporter asked Levine, um, is there anything – I'm trying to think of what the content of the question was. Um, I'll, I'll just I'll make it up. This wasn't the exact question, but something like this: Is there anything in the uh, collective bargaining agreement that's that's changed, or or how you might pursue a player this off season? Anything that you've changed from like a strategic point of view f- for what's come out now recently with the new CBA? And Thad said, "Well, I mean, to be blunt, we're going to get in a meeting on that later tonight." So. I don't want to lead you down like a wrong path here. I, I'll just say that we've reviewed it and we think that we have some decisions in mind, but without knowing fully what baseball is going to say about this, I just I'd rather hold off on that. The reporter said, "Okay, I'll ask you tomorrow." And that's it. please do, and I will give another elusive answer that sounds <laughs> somewhat substantive and like marginally reliable. <laughs> he said that he said that out loud with a straight face, and so. I, so I'm sitting here oh, thinking so he's self-aware. Okay, yes, that's he good. knows. That's good. Like my my perception is, he knows that there's this sort of game going on within the game of trying to get better at baseball. Yeah. Part of that game is well, the media is here and they're just doing their job. They're not out to get you, nor are agents, nor are players. And if there's ever sort of an adversarial component of those, it's just a product of the system, not of the person. Yeah. In question, and you I know, loved that answer. I was like, "This is you're being f- sort of flippant with it, but not in a rude way. Just just flippant enough to be funny, but you're also being respectful that you're you know, calling out like what's going on in the room." That's so different. So my first experience covering the winter meetings, it was in I'm trying to think of the cities that 
I want to say it was in Orlando. It was the it was the off season they acquired Siyoshi Nishioka. Is that the Dolphins exhibit? The uh, the Swan and Dolphin the, that's Resort. Orlando, yeah, yeah. that's Orlando. where it is next year too. By the way, okay, yeah, it was like fifty. I was all excited. Oh, this is going to be great. It was doing doing radio down there, yeah. so I would do a two hour show from the ESPN zone because we're ESPN affiliate, obviously. And then I would go over and cover the meetings and write and stuff. And then you go meet with Bill Smith in his office. And Terry Ryan was up there, even though he wasn't really a full-time employee anymore. Yep. I don't know how that worked. but He, he was, was an definitely, advisor in those days, right? I think he was advising more than people knew. He just didn't want to have to answer questions. And I've never been able to figure out entirely how active he was behind the scenes. But he was definitely at the winter meetings the offseason they acquired Siyoshi Nishioka. So here's a glimpse into how Bill Smith handled those exact situations where you've got a handful of beat writers, you're in a suite, and they turn multiple conjoining hotel rooms usually into these meeting rooms where they'll, sometimes they'll even push a they'll get the bed removed and they'll have just it's a like table their little war room right yes I mean, it's it's yeah. a war room for a week and they have meetings in these rooms and they'll have a cooler full of just like beverages and beers whatever if they want to crack open a beer or snacks. So anyway, so they don't have to leave. If they don't want to walk into the lobby and get bombarded with questions, they could just stay up there for five straight days if they want to. Well, Bill was afraid of giving information more than almost any GM in this town's history. So Bill was playing his best, try to give an answer without really giving an answer, but it was kind of uncomfortable. And he was sitting at the table, and he wouldn't answer questions about Siyoshi Nishioka, wouldn't answer questions about other free agents. I mean, the most he would say is, we're keeping all of our avenues open. But he was very calculated, and you could tell he was thinking about how to give a non-answer. And Lavelli Neal from the Star Tribune, our buddy over there, and, and he was just getting, after about 10 or 15 minutes, he was getting so frustrated with, we flew down here. We're the only ones down here. There's no cameras. There's no radio guys except for Phil, but he's here as a writer. Yeah. Um, just, you know, you don't have to tell us everything, but tell us something and and Bill was Bill was looking down at the table, peeling the label off of his water bottle, just like super uncomfortable. And I've he, been that guy before. <laughs> you're sitting at the bar and you're kind of like peeling down the corner of your you know fidgeting, golden yeah, or whatever. Yeah. You're like, eh, I got this weird nervous. Energy. And so he responds to Lavelle with, "I I respect that. I respect that." And 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 so Lavelle essentially goes all in on him and calls him out for, oh, wow. "Hey, give it, give us something in a respectful way, but give us something. We're down here, Billy. Come on, man. We've all flew down here. Our company spent money." Just give us a little nugget here and there. And that kind of blows over. And a couple questions later, then Lavelle chimes in with yet another one. Can you tell us, hey, Carlos Gutierrez was a first-round pick by the Twins in, like, 2008 or nine. Yeah. And he was a reliever at Miami, but they were maybe going to transition him to a starter, and he had some arm issues and had never surfaced in the big leagues. He was a minor league pitcher at the time. And Lavelle figures, all right, I'm going to start. I'm going to go with this one. He asks Bill, Hey, is Carlos Gutierrez, is he going to be a starter or a reliever in 2000, whatever, 2011, 12, whatever year it was? And Bill, deep breath. Um, I'm not going to share that information with you. And Lavelle's like, what? And we're all like, come on, man. It's, it's Carlos. It's like, wait, I don't know. And Bill goes, I don't have to share that with you. Like, no, you don't. But right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to bring it back full circle, happy to hear that at least Levine and, and Falvey will – they will speak, and there are rumors out there, and they're not shooting down the rumors, and um, it feels like they have some social savviness to them. So yeah, and I don't fun. mean that to say that Falvey doesn't have a handle on on this part of the game. I just mean that there is clearly a, like one of them is much more comfortable in public speaking settings, whereas Falvey kind of every day is sort of a, 
Um, this was this is how I felt at the introductory press conference, but you never know. I mean, everyone responds to those differently. Like, yeah. this is Falvey's first. This is a huge break in baseball. So, of course, I mean, professionally, that might have been the biggest day of his life. And Levine, not to say that it's not a step forward, but, you know, he's been there before. He's been at the table with John Daniels for every major negotiation that's gone down the last 10 years or whatever. So it's kind of more like, not to say old hat, but 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 he's been there before. Not his first rodeo. I think Falvey will develop into that in time, but it's clear that if they're down, you know, going down the same path of trying to be funny and friendly with the media, both come across as sincere and genuine, that Levine just has more experience having done the dance before. So yeah. anyways, I don't know. That wasn't really one of my thoughts. Were we but still I, on the first thought there? Yeah, okay. yeah, I think this is number one. <laughs> well, we planned to do a 20-minute episode, and we're like three-quarters of the way there. So what are... What are the other handful of things you learned in Washington D.C. this week? How about the White Sox? The White Sox are rebuilding, and they're not the just white flag, man. they're not just kind of rebuilding. The White Sox are going for it. They landed two of the top five prospects in baseball and five other decent young prospects for Adam Eaton, who was a six-war player last year. Yeah, and uh, obviously Chris Sale. Yeah, quietly very underrated Adam Eaton, a great player, or at least a great 2015 season, and five years of team control left. A lot of people saying they overpaid by giving up Lucas Giolito. And, I mean, I tend to agree with that. They're probably overpaying if you're looking at the long-term price. But guess what? People also said, not to compare the two packages, because I paid a lot of attention to prospects then and only kind of now, but people said the Mets overpaid for Johan Santana. And now, all right, Santana's Mets career, obviously injuries played a big part in that, and he didn't end up contributing that much. But, like, they really... I don't know that they really lost that trade if it's not for injuries. And th- and you could say that about a lot of different – people said that the Brewers overpaid for CC Sabathia because they gave up Matt Laporta. This isn't to disparage people who cover prospects, and um, there are a lot of publications and a lot of people specifically that I you know saw down there this week that do a great job with this stuff. But there's a reason that it's hard to project prospects, and that specifically it's hard to project pitching prospects. So all all I'm saying is the Nationals are really going for it by trying to get Adam Eaton. The Red Sox are really going for it yeah. by getting Chris Sale. I mean, the, the Red Sox rotation, yes, you got, it's going to be so good. You've got the Cy Young Award winner as your third best pitcher behind David Price and Chris Sale, and uh, and a lineup that's just full of ridiculous. David Ortiz with a little little. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast the other day. I no, can't remember, no, no, no. That he joked. He about sent coming out back. I don't know if it was a joke. Uh, Dude, he sent out the Instagram post and he yeah. said, "You guys got me thinking." Dot well, dot dot. Picture of Chris Sale. Why would these got He he was the best hitter in baseball last year. I know. For like five months. I know. But you t- you heard all the talk about how he's just he was just done like emotionally just drained. Yeah. Then yeah. When your team trades for Chris Sale. Right. But it's January or December and you're sitting there thinking like, oh yeah, I could do this this year. And then you show up to spring training and you're like oh yeah what if this he becomes why? the brett Favre of baseball where every year for the next five years and How then about? he goes and plays for the mets for a while <laughs> and bounces around and then like sends some photos of his no junk it'd, out. it'd be the yankees right he'd have to play for the yankees to be brett Favre. But he'd play for the mets That's a good but, point he'd play he'd play for the yankees but by way of the mets well i was thinking jets mets but you're right the the Rivalry. The rivalry thing would be Yankees, so he'd have to play two years there. And the first year, he would take them to the World Series, but then wind up <laughs> striking out, swinging on three pitches to end the game, and then he would have a terrible follow-up season. Yeah, and get tackled on the frozen turf and end yeah. his career. <laughs> I, I uh, On the David Ortiz point, could it be Roger Clemens? 
Could he say, I'm just going to play in Boston, and I'm going to play like 80 games this year, and then when you need oh, me in the postseason. Yeah, fly in just for your starts. That's right. Or when uh, Rocket, didn't he only pitch in Houston? Or No, maybe not. Maybe he did. Roger Clemens. He just did not travel with the team unless he was pitching. Is that right? There was a year in Houston. Right? Yeah, he only traveled if he was pitching. So if you if there was a road trip and he wasn't scheduled to pitch, I think he would just stay yeah, home with the kids. Stays at home. But then he also waited until the halfway point of the season one year, too. Hmm. And he was, like, still filthy dominant, just coming in in, like, July. Yeah. Of course. I mean, there might have been reasons for that. I'm <laughs> sure. <it's>, <laughs> I don't know. That's another podcast. Yeah, that's probably an entirely different one. Hey there, Matthew Collar from 1500 ESPN. If you've ever wondered about all the stats that get thrown around and which ones tell us the truth about sports, I've got a new podcast for you called the Sports Analytics Department. A new guest every week that digs deeper into the numbers on football, hockey, baseball, and more. Go to 1500ESPN.com and subscribe on iTunes. Um, But anyways, let's get back to the... White Sox point, because I think you can criticize the Nationals, and I think you can criticize the Red Sox. But to do so, you're kind of guessing. You're kind of guessing that Yoan Moncada is going to become the man, which I think he will, but maybe he won't. Uh, Michael Kopech is going to become the man because he can throw 100 miles an hour. Probably he will, but maybe he won't. Same deal with Lucas Giolito. I think Giolito is going to be a stud. I think it's going to be one of those names that you know. I think it's going to be like a Derek Norris where the the Blue Jays give up a lot to get David Price. And they're Daniel like, Norris. Daniel Norris. Did yeah. I say Derek Norris? Yeah, he's the the, Derek's the catcher. Yeah. Daniel's, the, yeah. da- Daniel's the lefty for the Tigers. So you're, you're kind of thinking, like, yeah, they, they gave up a lot, um, but they got David Price, and they're going to take a shot at this thing. Well, and then when the shot misses – it's a little easier to go back and revise that and say, oh, oh they're, they now, they're going to have to live with the fact that they give up a six years of team control of this Norris kid. Yeah. If, Same if, thing's going to happen with both of those two teams. If you're the, the only way I would be really hesitant to give up prospects like that is if I wasn't one of the top ten spending teams in baseball. I think teams like the Twins should be really careful about, Yeah, I'm not saying never give up prospects, but make sure you're ready and make sure you know what you're doing. But yeah. if you're the Red Sox or the Cubs, for instance, even the Dodgers have a great farm system, and you have a huge budget, and a great front office that constantly restocks the cupboards year after year through the international signing period or right. the or the June draft, you can pretty freely assume that the prospects you're trading away are going to be replaced and or just irrelevant uh, and flame out. Because yeah. you, you have to assume that that half of these guys we're talking about are not going to pan out and, and be aggressive when you know that, too. Yeah, and, and I talked to one uh, – listen to me, I sound like – You sound Rosenthal like Buster Olney here? <laughs> No, this is more like a Kirchin thing, right? Where he says, I, I talked to one American League executive who said, <laughs> I, did, I was talking to an American League executive, though. He said, uh, it's, it's interesting that the CBA has changed now that they're sort of capping this international spending, which might hurt the Twins this year. We can get to that in a second if you want to, or maybe that's another podcast. But it might hurt the Twins this year, but long term, probably good for the Twins and good for the other you know, smaller market teams, the Royals, the, the Rays, things like that. Not to say that the Twins are small market. I consider them sort of mid-market, but it's still good that they're not going to go get the Dodgers to spend, you know, $200 million on a, the next Cuban sensation or the next, uh, you know, uh, Japanese sensation that they're just going to win the bid running away because they've just got all this money. But rewind the clock. How did the Red Sox wind up with Moncada? 
because they spent more than other people. There was this uncapped system where rich teams pay for some of. It? I feel like they're going to pay they're, for like thirty million dollars or something. So right? here it is. If so you're the, so the, the Red, Red Sox, Sox, get him for no money. They don't have to pay him. They're going to pay him some. But here's the thing: if you're the Red Sox, you just go spend all this money with obviously no salary cap. Just go acquire all of this international talent, and then you can pay somebody else to take it, which makes those players even more valuable in trade settings, and you can afford to trade for a Chris Sale. Now you see why small market teams might be at a competitive disadvantage and why it might be good that the collective bargaining agreement now caps international spending. So if you're the Red Sox, though, for years, someone else, uh, before Dombrowski takes over, they're they're spending to acquire all this talent, and now they're helping teams offset the cost because they have all this money. So with every most most every other team that's limited in the way that they can acquire assets and they have to be really thoughtful about how they allocate those, the Red Sox can make a mistake and still be right. So for, if you're going to criticize the Red Sox for this, I'm not in, I'm not in that boat at all. No, the, the Red Sox, I, I, I think I just saw yesterday, too, on Bovada, the Red Sox are right behind the Cubs for World Series favorites. Yeah, absolutely. If the season started today. Yeah, and I think that's even after the Wade Davis trade, which uh, solidified the Cubs' bullpen. Um, but, you know, there are windows in baseball. And maybe we can get to this here as we move on from this second thought. Jeez, we're... We could save some thoughts for next week, too. Hold on. Bef- oh, hold on. Before we get to Windows, yeah. uh, just one last thing on the Red Sox. Sure. Dave Dombrowski is their, is their new executive uh, overseeing the baseball ops department the last couple of years or whatever. Is there another – I'm going to call him a GM, even though that's not his title. But sure. Is there another GM in baseball the last 15 years, even going back further than that, because he was with the Marlins for a while, but I'm thinking Tigers into Red Sox, that puts his watermelons on the table right. at a more frequent rate <laughs> Like that Miguel Cabrera trade, bringing right. him to the Tigers 10 years ago. Yeah, the cap- uh, he just walks into a room and says, here we go. We're trading all of the top blue chip pieces, prospects. I'm getting your best players. I'm giving up my best prospects. And he does it on a regular basis with no fear. So it's well, a, if you're a fan of a team that is run by Dave Dombrowski, it's, it might blow up sometimes. Right. But it's, it's going to be fun. When you're right a lot – and you've previously had your, to borrow a phrase, watermelons on the table. I think that that was you both times, by the way. I just want podcast listeners to know that. Yeah, that's right. Dave's not the only one who puts his watermelons on the table. That's right. When you're right so often and these trades work out for you, it's it's probably easier to have those reference points to say, yeah, this is going to work, or to have the confidence to do it. The other thing I'll say is that even if you're Dave Dombrowski and you make a trade like this or the David Price trade before he left the Tigers, there's just a certain element of randomness. Like He might think very, very highly of Moncada as well and just says, okay, well, our goal is to win the World Series this year, not to win as many games as we can over the next five years. So with that in mind, I'm going to go get a third ace. And then good luck in a five, you know, the Red Sox got bounced in a series this past season, which you could argue they should have won against the Cleveland Indians. Mm -hmm. They were probably the better team. I think that they were. Well, that's not how postseason baseball works. Sometimes it's random. Sometimes things just don't go the way you plan. Uh, And Dabrowski might be reacting to that by saying, okay, you want to go in a five-game series with us? Okay, beat Chris Sale. That's that's exactly oh, oh, it. Oh, okay. You beat Chris Sale. Okay, now beat David Price. Yeah. Now beat Rick Porcello. Now beat Chris Sale again. Yes. Good luck. That's why. So this kind of let's let's talk about windows, and then we can save some of the other stuff for. Uh, we'll probably do a couple episodes next week too. Cool. So we've we've we'll give you more value next week on this. But 
when it comes to windows, I think there's two different types of windows. I think there's a window to become playoff eligible. So you can build a team and maybe you have a window of 10 years because you have a really solid roster of position players and you have a bunch of really good solid starting pitchers and your window to win 85 to 95 games is open on a regular basis as a franchise because you're co- and the Twins were like that for I was a decade. Just going to say 2002 to yeah. 2010. Scott Baker, solid pitcher. Brad Radke, solid pitcher. And they had Johan Santana as the guy for five years or so. So they had a window and they built a roster that could they could win between 85 and 95 games on a regular basis. But then once you get into that window, there's another window, right? Which is how often once you're in that first window, can you emerge into the win a World Series category? The Twins were never really set up to win a World Series. Um, it's not black and white, but they were never set up to, to win a World Series a high percentage of the time compared to the rest of the league because they never had multiple Chris Sale, David Price, wow. and and bullpen bridge seventh through ninth innings that was lights out. They had that a couple times. I was going to argue that 2006 they yes. were set up to win until Frankie blew out his elbow. Correct. And then, and then that changes the math, but that's the same risk every team takes. That's just sports. The Reds, I mean, David Price could get hurt in spring training, and we're talking about this differently. And they could still, if David Price gets hurt, they could still they could, go to the World Series. Well, they could still, their window to win 85 or 95 is still open. Yeah. I mean, one player going down doesn't change, unless right. it's Mike Trout's like a 10 win player. So that's a bit of a different case. But if David Price goes down, and now your number three starter is a broken down Clay Buckholz in the playoffs, sure. your, your World Series window has closed a little bit. Or you got to trade for somebody else at the deadline, give up even more prospects yeah. to try and get an Irvin Santana, and he's your number three starter. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's a different conversation. Um, but you're 100% right, and I this is how my worldview has evolved in baseball. We've talked about it in the past, that my perspective used to be that first window. And maybe that's because I grew up watching the Twins, and that was just what I thought it was like to create a competitive team is, well, you kind of get lucky every year. And I think 2016 uh, – sorry. 06. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I, I misspoke about getting lucky every year. You try to get there every year, and then every once in a while you get lucky. Right. You try and roll the dice. I, that that was my worldview. And 2016 is actually a great window into windows. This is getting weird. I'm confusing myself. It's a great prism into your theory about Windows because the 2000... This segment sponsored by Windex, by the way. That's right. The official cleaning product of the Touch Mall podcast. Hey, Anderson, give us a call. I do think think that uh, the 2016 season is a perfect prism into this because the Chicago Cubs... What did Theo Epstein say when he acquired Araldis Chapman? He said, opportunities to win a World Series are precious. I'm not messing around with those. And by the way, Theo, legitimately one of the only people that I bumped into that I was like, whoa. You know, th- there's a lot of somebodies at the winter meetings. You're bumping into John Heyman, Ken Rosenthal, you know, Bob Nightingale. Uh, I could I could keep going. Um, I ran into Jack Morris there, actually, too. Oh. Um, Is he looking to get back in the game? Uh, I, that was not the sense that Number I got. Number five starter somewhere? I have. <laughs> Teach well. these guys how to, how to throw innings? Here's how, yeah, here's how you eat innings. <laughs> Uh, um, that's probably another story for was another Theo day. carrying a bottle of champagne still? No, he's, was he still with the Edward Forty hands? Two bottles of champagne. Apparently, he's done with his bender. Um, Bill James, by the way, Bill James, one of the other people that I I saw and was like, whoa, 
you know, it was it was for me. It was Bill James. It was Theo Epstein. Wow. And I'd have to come up with the rest of my list of the people. Godfather that, of sabermetrics. Yeah, that I was. And you wonder too. You're walking around the convention center and you're thinking, okay, most people here recognize him, but what if Bill James was just at like a stadium? How well, many people just, would recognize him? You're just like, oh, that's he'd a, just be a guy. Yeah, that's a guy, a, that, a bearded guy. Yeah, he's like part-time Santa Claus at the mall or yeah. something like that. But. Um, I there are a couple of people that it was really cool. Um, as even as uh, an impartial observer, that you kind of get giddy, like, oh, well, that's uh, that's Theo Epstein, like Rhett Bollinger from MLB.com. <laughs> Rhett Bollinger, our guy Lavelle <laughs> Neal. So to finish my story on Windows is Theo Epstein, who I think will go down as the the best baseball executive ever. Um, is saying things like opportunities to win a World Series are precious. And I'm not going to take this lightly. I am not going to just assume because we have a young and talented roster that will be here every single year. This team has the potential to win a World Series, and I'm not going to miss out on that. So he sends big prospects to the Yankees to get a Roldis Chapman, and you saw what happened. Now here's the flip side of that coin. The other team in the World Series wasn't really in that World Series window. The Cleveland Indians were in that first window that you're talking about where you're just, I mean, you're a 90-win team that... Maybe some weird things will happen in October. Maybe you'll beat the Red Sox. I don't know. And sure enough, they did. Maybe you'll be able to overcome the fact that you lost two top end of the rotation starters. Yeah, if and they, they did. If they had Salazar and Carrasco for the full what if play, they, for the full month of October, the I think they would have more often been in that second window. As it turns out, they snuck into they were in both windows. And you get <laughs> you sort of get. Um, I don't mean to say lucky like it was some sort of fluke that the Indians got there, but like, you know, what if that went the other way? What if Rajai Davis's home run was the instigating point that then like the Cleveland Indians went on to win the 2006 World Series and the Cubs are still cursed? Well, then you're talking about team construction a little bit differently this year. You're like, wow, Andrew Miller's a god. Tito Francona's a Hall of Famer. Um, boy, the Indians front office really knows how to do it. I still this, think all three of those maybe, things, by the way. Maybe yeah. so. Andrew Miller is a guy, and Tito <laughs> yeah. is a Hall of Famer, and the Indians are doing fine in their front office. But I, my, the, I mean, the national narrative becomes so much overwhelmingly we're not celebrating the Cubs the same way we are, even though they still had a great season and they were a fantastic team, and Theo Epstein's still the greatest executive ever. We're We're just looking at it a little bit differently, and I think – that's where this is interesting for the Twins, and certainly we get into this on the next podcast that we'll talk about the rest. We just talked about two thoughts <laughs> on hey, this podcast. We offer more value right. on this Twins podcast <laughs> our, than our any thoughts, other Twins podcast. Our thoughts per capita were just not very strong today, but <laughs> we'll, we'll make up for that another time. Um, but the Twins, this is why, I mean, I'm not surprised that people are bored by the Twins right now. I just, I get it. There's... Partly it's the whole Minnesota sports thing where we all sort of have this ingrained apathy because, I mean, if something's going good, it's obviously going to be bad tomorrow, so I hate to get too invested. Like, that's, that's part of just being a sports fan in Minnesota. And the other part of it is the Twins have been so bad, why would you buy season tickets? And why would you spend time yeah. uh, analyzing their offseason moves or the Jason Casher sign? Why would you get excited about a catcher? who it might be worse offensively than Kurt Suzuki. But the thing that the uh, that the White Sox just did in acquiring Giolito and Moncada, among a bevy of other good prospects that we'll ignore for this conversation, is they acquired, what did you say, Phil, earlier? Two of the top five prospects in Depending all Depending on which publication, but I believe Baseball America's uh, list, it was two of the top five, yes. And five other prospects. Right. Uh, 
Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano also held those titles at one point, which is why I think this is interesting. Because I think that it would be hard for a smart front office to screw up being in the first window for like eight of the next ten years if you're the Twins. Which is why if I was a Twins fan, I'd be giddy about what's going on right now. Maybe They'll probably be bad in 2017. I mean, I think their upside right now would be like a 500 club, and certainly we can do a podcast on that later as we know more what the 25-man roster is going to look like in spring training. But, like, having Byron Buxton, if he becomes who people think Byron Buxton could become, and having Miguel Sano, assuming he can hold up and play every day at third base, like, those are two really, really, really good players around which to build a team, and the Twins are now talking about a nucleus that involves... Oh, by the way, like Max Kepler, who's just sort of a throw-in in the conversation and might also be a really good player in his own right. That's why I think that the Twins, provided they make the right moves on the periphery, they still have to do things right. They have to make smart decisions. They have to make good baseball choices, and they have to make the contracts work, and they have to be able to afford all these guys. There's a lot of unknowns right now, but the upside potential of this roster, while it's not very pretty right now, long-term, looks really, really good. And we're here praising the White Sox for acquiring all these prospects, and rightfully so. The Twins are in sort of a similar spot, but I'd argue maybe even a couple years down the road of that spot. Now we know a little bit more about who Miguel Sano is, who Byron Buxton is. You know, this is going to sound ridiculous. My final thought here on this podcast. Do we have a hot take coming? I said... Yes. This is... is, I can definitely smell a hot take Get the hot take take police force ready here, because I am am way over the hot take limit with this one, Okay. I will be more excited and interested to watch this team without Brian Dozier and with whatever package they would get for him than if Brian Dozier was still on the team. I've seen Brian Dozier. He's an exciting player. I've enjoyed watching him. I like him. I have no problems with him. But I don't think he's part of the resurgence because I don't think you're going to sign him to a contract beyond this one. So if I'm watching Jorge Polanco at second base and Jose De Leon as my number five starter on this team this year, I'm very curious to see, to see that play out. Part of it, I almost feel like, and this is no disrespect to these guys because they were two of the best players during this era of putrid Twins baseball, So it's, but they're just sort of attached and synonymous with this era. Dozier and Plouffe, it's like the Dozier and Plouffe era. And part of that is the failed Luke Hughes experiment and Swarzak and uh, Scott Diamond. and They're kind of the last relics, quote-unquote, from this terrible era of Twins baseball. So the best thing that you can do is use the one that's left over to vault you into the next era of Twins baseball like you did with Chuck Knobloch in the late 90s. Eric Milton. Uh, Guzman, right? Uh, Christian Guzman. And then I'm going to be really curious, and I know it's not going to pop in 2017, but it might pop late in the year or 2018. So I, I don't, pull me over if you must. Hot yeah, take, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that's that hot of a take. I, and maybe people are just underestimating what Buxton can be, but I'm a little surprised that there's not like a lot more excitement about this team right now. And I'm not – look, I'm a neutral observer. I'm not trying to pump up the tires. I'm not trying to sell tickets. I'm just saying that um, as excited as White Sox fans should be about Giolito and Moncada, like the Twins, Twins fans, but for a lot of losing over the past couple of seasons, should be like similarly excited about – they're excellent young players, and they're not because of all the losing, like I said. But I will be curious, what if this team goes 500 and then they start making some smart moves and they get, you know, 
the number one draft pick this summer basically doesn't mean anything to me in the in the short term. You're not going to pick somebody that's a, a game changer over the next three or four years, obviously. But I I just see like enough talent. I said this a lot last year, even though the team sucked. There are the bones of a good baseball team. Now you need to fill out that skeleton, and you need to have some vital organs, and you need to have a brain at the top of it. But it's it's not to say that there is this is like a talentless shipwreck that just needs to be pushed out to this sea. This isn't the Astros from like five years ago. And that team was a hundred lost team, yeah. and that team was, and they had some. They started drafting well, and they had some guys in the minors that you thought were going to be good major league players. You have some major league young players on this team that have actually established themselves to some degree yeah. in Miguel Sano, Max Kepler. There's a lot of room for improvement, but yeah, I, yeah, they're further along than than the 103 losses would probably sure. suggest. So I'm, I'm with you in that regard. I get why you wouldn't be excited about this team. I've got no problems if you're not not telling you to invest. But I think White Sox fans should be pretty excited about this rebuild. And the Twins are maybe just, I mean, they don't have the volume of firepower, but they're probably a couple years further along in their rebuild. Last year was uh, probably rock bottom, and I think that's the most encouraging thing you can say. Yeah, Rock bottom hasn't arrived for this podcast yet, but we assure you it's on the horizon sometime (laughs) this offseason.